Hello, and welcome to the eTech Podcast with me, your host, Ryan Morn. I have been involved in the development of electrified vehicles and machines since 2005 as an engineer and a business leader. This podcast is the product of my passion for electric and autonomous vehicle technology. I'm here to share knowledge from some of the world's leading experts, as well as my own insights. Join me as we accelerate the transition to cleaner, safer and smarter vehicles and grow the industry around the world. So for today's show, we've got a really great guest lined up. Um, I'm here today with Eric Azarol from Dan Foss. He is the vice president of their on-highway business unit with the Dan Foss Editron business within the company. So welcome to the show, Eric. It's really great to have you here. Thanks for having me, Ryan. It's nice to see you again. Yeah, well, and and um, just to, to sort of get it out there before we start, um, I've known Eric for a, a number of years um, in uh, through various incarnations of my life and his life. So it's it's really great to uh, catch up because we haven't spoken in in quite a while. So I'm really looking forward to this discussion. I think if we could start off, um, and you could just give me uh, a, a sort of roundup of your background. You know how you how you got into doing what you do now and you know you've because you've been in the electrification industry kind of forever um so uh yeah how do, how do you get started yes uh, so uh, so thanks ryan i uh i graduated uh electrical engineering uh in 2004 and then uh you know uh try to figure out where i could uh, i could have fun uh in montreal quebec canada uh and, and i i landed at tm4 it was really a pretty cool uh, technology of, of hub motors or wheel motors, right? Um, and that was fun. We we tried to do that, but uh, we diverted quickly into developing products for the commercial vehicle space, uh, which I did uh, at TM4 for um, a number of years from 20, 2004 to 2018-19. Uh, we were then acquired by Dana, which was also a great experience. Uh, being part of a tier one, and uh, always worked in uh, in in sales, application engineering, marketing type of roles, um, and now I'm part of uh, the Don Foss organization, which is uh, which is a very interesting um, a very interesting play actually, because um, as you can read uh, the the transition to better and more efficient per electronics and uh, better cost competitiveness in that space. Um, uh, you know, Dan Foss is very well positioned for that play, which is even more relevant for, you know, passenger cars or commercial vehicles. Yeah, the, the, the Dan Foss have been pretty active the last few years, kind of building up this um, Editron business unit. And, and I mean, I guess like a lot of tier ones, you know, you, you mentioned TM4 being acquired by Dana and, and they they. You know, Dana themselves were quite acquisitive. Uh, lots of acquisitions to to build up their electrification group. So, um, yeah, tell tell us about um, Danfoss and Editron and, um, and 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 that business unit and and what they're doing. Yeah, so so you know, within Danfoss Editron, we have three business units. We have the uh, off highway business unit, we have the on highway business unit, and we have the marine business unit. All three business units um, uh, focus on their different customer bases, of course, but also 
some products are tailored for that market, right? So for example, Marine has specific tailored products for that market off highway as well, and then on highway as well. And and really the purpose of the on highway business unit is to um, create a significant scale, um, uh, significant scale both in motors and power electronics to be cost competitive in the uh, in the uh, off highway business. Okay. Dan Foss is, uh, is really the leader of off highway, I think. Uh, depends on how you what you look at it and how you look at it but at any given point you know depending on the product range or the re, the ge- geographical region we have about 40% of the hydraulic business in uh, in off highway so obviously electrification becomes a very important play for Danfoss mm. to be able to uh, to uh, to be able to do the transition and and remain a uh, competitive uh, player Right, so so really, Editron is the future of uh, of Danfoss Power Solution. Yeah, and that's why we're putting a lot of effort, a lot of acquisitions, a lot of effort in that space, and we think that uh, that uh, building it in in those three business units allows us to uh, to uh, to take a significant market share once the off highway business becomes uh becomes bigger because it's it's kind of lagging right ryan uh, mm. i know you know you know a lot about the off-highway industry but it's kind of lagging a bit behind the uh, commercial vehicle uh but it's it's getting there it's getting there quickly um and we think that uh that the products that we make for commercial vehicle can easily be used in off-highway right yeah hey, we do see the i mean the whole industry is kind of tipped on its head in the last few years but the particularly the on-highway commercial vehicles been really driven by regulations and, you know, there's some specific ones in different regions and cities and, and the, the, uh, the new European CO2 reduction targets for, for truck makers and, and that, that kind of thing. And the off, off-highway side haven't, haven't had the same regulatory um, sort of pressure as such for, for the, where they sell most machines, you know, the, the little machines for city centers and things, sure that, you know, that, but but actually the other machines it's more about saving fuel or making uh, machines more efficient at at the moment so electrification has to be cost effective and and give performance improvements and things like that which in in the on highway side there's more regulations to comply with that that sort of uh, it's a bit more of a it's a, it's about carrots in the off highway side but there's some pretty big sticks in the on highway side i think lots of interesting changes happening in the in the marketplace but it's interesting um because i you know i know editron and i've known you a long time and um also known some of the other key people there like chemo um a long time but i i think some people wouldn't necessarily recognize the danfoss name um for the products that you're offering that motors and um you know, on vehicle inverters and things like that. So, how how did that kind of come about? What's um what's the story behind where where you've come from on that side? Yeah. So, so for uh, for on highway, you know, um, the presence of Danfoss came from an acquisition, right? You know, uh, in two thousand eighteen, uh, Danfoss made the acquisition, I believe, of uh, Vizero, and then shortly thereafter uh, of UQM in the U.S. And UQM uh, was was purely playing in in on highway. So at that time, you know, UQM had a strategic project with Meritor, which is now kind of owned by Cummins. That's that's how <laughs> yeah. this industry is uh, is moving quickly. But um, 
but so when Danfoss acquired UQM, we basically uh, acquired that on-highway uh, business and decided to remain in the on-highway business to basically benefit from that scale. Yeah. And you know, the, the, the good thing about on-highway is um, it kind of uh, drives a lot of focus and it drives a lot of design for manufacturing and cost uh, consciousness. Yeah. Um, which means if you if you develop a cost competitive uh, and a high performing uh, product for on highway and then you reuse it in off highway, you can generate some some significant profits out of it, right? Yeah, that's what that's what most you know tier ones are doing, right? Uh, they're 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 serving a lot of the tier ones are serving off highway with an on highway product, uh, it, it, you know, when it makes sense and when the power makes sense and all that stuff, right? Not 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 for all the applications, but when you can do it, it's pretty attractive because you could uh, actually generate some interesting profits with that. Yeah, and and it in in some ways it's quite hard to do it with um, sort of on highway light duty passenger car things, but in the in that heavy duty on highway side, it's a much easier transition into the off highway uh, market. Uh, so I mean, U- UQM. Um, like I always think I've been in the in the electrification industry for a long time, and then you kind of realize how long UQM had been around as a business. And it what 30, yeah. 30 years old or something like that as a company. Oh, I think uh, longer than that. Uh, I don't know the industry <laughs> because I've I've asked uh, I've asked a guy that's still at uh, at Danfoss that's been with us for thirty years. So I think it's been longer than that. Uh, I think mm. it's the nineteen sixties or something like that. So let me let me dig into that history. I probably need to get that. I've, I, so I've been at Danfoss um, Editron. I've been for, with Danfoss Editron since uh, since the beginning of May uh, of this year. So it hasn't been uh, hasn't been too long. Mm. But yeah, UQM um, UQM did some great things uh, in into the space uh, early on uh, for for both of us uh, who followed them, um, and then. Uh, you know, I think they they had a big turning point with Coda. I don't know if you remember that program with Coda. Coda, yeah. Coda, uh, which was kind of a Chinese imported vehicle that was converted to electric in the U.S. I think in California they were they, they were in L.A. or something like that. Uh, and and EQM was the supplier of the powertrain there. That uh, that didn't go well because Coda went under. Uh, and that's when, uh, you know, that was a big turning point for UQM, uh, when, uh, when UQM decided to kind of refocus on commercial vehicles, mm. uh, at, at that time. And I think that that wasn't, uh, that was a very good, uh, very good decision actually. Yeah. And, and allowed them really to build some great products for markets that were electrifying really early, like the bus market, transit buses and things like that. Yeah. And that's a market. I mean, you you guys are pretty strong still in um, in things like transit bus. Yeah, so we we have a a, a customer uh, by the name of Proterra, which um, which we supply uh, powertrains to, and uh, and we have others um, that are not public, but uh, but Meritor is, is public. Uh, yeah. Meritor is not serving the transit bus, mostly the, uh, truck. the trucks. Yeah trucks and uh perhaps school buses but um but yeah the the truck chassis let's just call it right um yeah. 
And it's interesting because Meritor did, did take an interesting step, you know, of uh, just focusing on EAXL, whereas all the other tier ones were focusing on a bit of everything, right? So a bit of EAXL, but mostly central drive. Yeah. You could see that uh, you could see that from the ZF product portfolio, and you could also see that from the uh, Dana, for example, product portfolio as well. Yeah. Um, and, and both strategies are good. It's just, you know, I was surprised at the speed at which commercial vehicles was turning to uh, e-axles. I thought I really did think it was going to take longer. Yeah. I thought e-axles were going to come kind of at the 2028, 20, 2030 timeframe. Okay. But they're they're coming, you know, way sooner than that. Um, so I, I was pleasantly surprised at the speed at which commercial vehicles were going at it, uh, at, at e-axles versus central drive, right? Because, you know, uh, back in the data TM4 days, the central drive was, uh, was the bread and butter. Uh, it still is uh, very popular. It's easy to integrate. Yeah. But it takes, it takes all the space, right, in the middle where you need more battery space, right? Yeah, so it makes the battery pack engineering much harder because you end up with um, lots of sort of distributed modules of batteries squeezed in. Yeah, ex or, 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 and you lose the space. Even if you still have distributed spaces in an existing chassis, you lose the central space. So so I think that for a commercial vehicle, it, it is the way to go and, and all the uh, all the tier ones are focusing on that. Mm. Yeah, and, and great that you guys... Uh, right at the, the the center of that and and actually very recently so you know danfoss kind of quietly becoming this major player in the space uh through these acquisitions but very recently you guys um pulled off another huge acquisition that i, I think surprised a lot of people um in in the industry with uh with semicron so is that is that something that you can can i know it's really fresh <laughs> Yeah, so Semicron uh, is is really a uh, kind of a merger of mm -hmm. uh, of our of our businesses. So we we had a a very big, uh, very very um, up and coming, gro growing business uh, by the name of Danfoss Silicon Power DSP, and uh, really it's the merger of uh, of those two businesses, right? So Danfoss Silicon Power and Semicron with with uh, Danfoss taking a sixty something percent uh, and plus. Uh, a majority stake ownership uh, in uh, in that uh, newly formed business, which is Semicron Danfoss. So it's really kind of a merger of the two companies together, and, and it was really important because, as you know, uh, Ryan, scale is is uh, is very very critical, um, and both both entities had a very uh, very healthy order book, uh, and really. The, the challenge now is, is going to be execution, right? We have to be perfect in execution and delivering according to our commitments. So so that's going to be the focus. Uh, bo both companies now merge into one big company uh, um, with a full order book. You know, the challenge is going to be on the execution. But yeah, really, really an interesting, um, an interesting merger. It was... Uh, you know, when I first joined Danfoss, uh, I, I heard about uh, about this, uh, and I was super excited because uh, I knew about the strengths and weaknesses of each each products and each technology. So the Danfoss Silicon Power module and the Semicron module, they have their own uh, recipe and uh, and let's say sweet spot, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I I knew that by having those two kind of products uh, or product families in our 
in our portfolio was was interesting uh was a very interesting uh value proposition for for that yeah. so it's 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 exciting right because you you uh you can actually get to see the uh, the development of that so that that power module as well right because right now we're we're at the infancy of that uh of that um technology yeah yeah and uh, well and, and semicron is another one of these businesses that is uh you know it's it's sort of been around in the electrification space for a very you know very very early mover in that space a long long time those um sky modules kind of uh sort of ubiquitous <laughs> as a platform yeah. um to to use in uh, in inverters no they they yeah exactly i've known him uh, i've known him for uh, forever as well and uh, we've used them uh, many many times but uh, you know it's interesting to see that um that as you as you referred to kimo uh, at the, in his vizero days uh, you know uh, basically that that company always worked with semicron so for the danfoss editron team which which again came from vizero and, and uqm this was like even more natural fit for uh, for us because if you notice the the product portfolio uh, that Fosseditron has, you know, it's basically a big portion of that is a uh, semicron uh, sky inverter mm. that uh, that that we then um, you know put up put our own controls and software on top of it. But but for us, it was a super good natural fit because we've always uh, worked with uh, with Semicron before. Mm. So even more even more interesting for us to get closer to develop a better product and to start uh, start developing solutions that are uh, more more cost competitive. Yeah, properly kind of bringing that sort of supply chain inside the inside the family, so to speak, uh, is. It, it, uh, is there more to come? Do you think? Um, are we likely to see? Um... Yeah, we're making. We're, we're so you see for us the there's high voltage, and that's pretty pretty much uh, set for us. You know, we have our pieces of the puzzles, and now we need to execute and develop uh, competitive products. Um, so we, we're we're going to be refreshing that product portfolio quite soon on the high voltage side. And for us, high voltage, you know, it's the 750 plus, right? Yeah. Uh, volts DC. Then there's the low voltage side for us. That's uh, very important to uh, to take a play. Um, and for us, low voltage, just to be clear, it's uh, 144 volts and and less, right? That's yeah. what we call low voltage. Um, and 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 as I told you before, right, uh, the off highway space is is uh, is really critical for us. Mm -hmm. And if you look at all the hydraulic products we sell and all the other auxiliaries like. Uh, you know, joysticks, uh, valves, and you know, pumps, motors, whatever, whatever it is in uh, in the uh, off highway space. A lot of the small vehicles have a high content of Danfoss product today, and and those vehicles are being electrified, as you said at the beginning of your intro, at a very high rate, right? So if you talk about aerial uh, work platforms, uh, scissor lifts, uh, boom lifts, all these uh, vehicles are getting electrified very very quickly at a very high rate, and um, and it's important for us to to have a, a solid product portfolio in low voltage, um, not not because we want to be present in that market, just, just not just because we want to be present in that market, but also because if you, we feel like if you have the portfolio in low and high voltage, you have a higher chances of uh, being relevant in big uh, big OEMs, right? So if you take the big OEMs of this world, um, yeah, in the off highway space. Um, 
they've all announced that they're going to have full electric vehicles in low voltage and high voltage by 2025, right? I'm not I'm not going to name them because we all know them, but but it's important for us to be relevant as Danfoss to be able to offer that portfolio, but also to offer even the software compatible from one product segment to the other product segment so that it's it's seamless, right? Uh, yeah. And for those of you who know the Danfoss product with the plus one software application, that's what we want to offer. We want to offer, you know, whether you're doing a high voltage product and a low voltage product, you interface with the same standards and the same, uh, you know, kind of user interface that you're used to from Danfoss. Yeah, and so, so those... So that's what's next. Low voltage is next to answer your question. <laughs> okay. And uh, I, I, I mean, it, there's been a lot of, Sort of um, acquisition activity on that side of the market as well. You know, it, it's sort of yeah. there's a few big players who you know, for particularly for motor inverters and, and such like that were very well known, and almost all of them have been um, part of some sort of acquisition or M and A activity. Um, because yeah, we you, saw Curtis last uh, yeah. couple of months ago. Uh, that was that was interesting. Yeah, was a re- that, that was really interesting because you know Curtis, very long-standing family own business very successful business um yeah and um you know see that see cola engine company acquiring them um you know that was quite a surprise uh i, I think for, to a lot of people um the the sevcon company obviously sort of going through acquisition by borg warner and then uh, sort of some bits of it they're yeah. going into turn tide which is where my old business went as well so there's kind of been um been quite a bit of stuff going on in the space so Always um, in- interesting to see where, where where you guys end up going uh, on that side, and when <laughs> when you can talk about it a bit more. Be there's not there's not much left though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's surprising that um, when when we kind of go through this sort of uh, thing, you know, there's there's still there are still some uh, great companies out there, and uh, and and there's new companies coming along all the time as well with you know good uh, sort of offerings and and IP and and things like that. So, the um, yeah, very interesting. So so that that kind of strategy to have a full product range like from the low voltage right the way up. That's um, that's really you know that's a massive statement of intent from Danfoss in terms of your your kind of putting a, a big you know, stake in the ground there that your your business is going to be able to electrify everything, um, you know, uh, that you currently serve with the hydraulics business and then so much more beyond that in uh, in sort of trucks and buses and things. That's going to be, you, you'd be a very, you know, a major, major tier one in that space. Yeah, because um, we see the transition as being, uh, being, you know, we have to be very relevant in paraelectronics across the board from low voltage to high voltage. Yeah. Um, you know, we, we feel like that's going to be a very important competitive edge. Uh, so Pyroelectronic is uh, is, is going to be the key. We, we will have motor capabilities, motor manufacturing sites. Yeah. Um, but we, we feel like this is more of an application engineering uh, function than more uh, we want to do it all ourselves kind of thing, right? Okay. So for motors, you know, we we uh, we su- we do manufacture a lot of them. We will continue to manufacture a, a lot of them when the volume makes sense. Yeah. But for a lot of the motors that we're going to need for off highway, and as you know, like uh, let's typi- let's take a typical off highway or even an on highway vehicle. You know, you can have uh, anywhere between um, 
two to ten motors on uh, on a vehicle, right? So, and they have different characteristics, different performance maps, you know, for different duties that they do. So obviously we're not going to get into, you know, making all the motors ourselves, but it's important that we're able to design them and able to source them intelligently, uh, either source, you know, the rotor and the stator and then package it ourselves or source the whole thing um, or, or make it if the volumes uh, make sense and if we feel like it's a competitive edge. So, so on the motor side, um, you know, that's our vision. And on the inverter side, our vision is to uh, manufacture it and then have our own uh, software and secret sauce on it. Because again, you know, our, our platform, software platform is key to uh, to enable uh, enable the sales. Okay. Um, so, so really the power electronics is the, is, is in our view, the, where we, where we come along. And, and do you, you go, uh, or do you see yourselves going beyond inverters in, in, you know, you've got the other key power yeah, electronics absolutely. devices? Absolutely. Absolutely. So we, we, for, for one of the largest uh, truck OEMs, we built the, uh, onboard charger. Um, so that's a 43 kilowatt AC charger, which also has an EPTO function. So that's a very interesting product, mm. uh, that, that we're, we're unique in, in doing, uh, and, and you could, it's a very complex product. I mean, Ryan, you're a, you're yeah. a much more clever power <laughs> electronic engineer than I am. But uh, what I've what I saw that what I when I saw that box, I was really amazed at the complexity. I, funnily enough, I saw that box, but for something to do with your customer, and 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 okay. I didn't realize you guys made it, and I was like blown away because I couldn't get my head around this sort of EPTO functionality and this the you know the AC output and like I'm like what are the put so much you know that would as a standalone component that would be such a massively costly part but it's such an amazing bit of integration into the onboard charger it's uh it's a really cool yeah. bit of kit yeah yeah exactly i i'm i think it's a pretty nice competitive edge and that's where that's where we differentiate differentiate ourselves right so it's a complex part uh not a lot of companies uh want to do this or can do this it takes a lot of um resources and manpower and testing capabilities uh the testing center we have for this thing in um in uh Laparanta and Philin is is super impressive if you look at the uh the testing center that's been put in but it's a it's it's i think it's a very useful product if you look at uh, commercial vehicles for the next let's say from now till 2028 2030 there's not going to be a lot of charging infrastructure yeah it's going to be mostly fleets that are going to buy this and if you could give them a 43 kilowatt, you know, uh, AC charger, uh, that's a relatively low cost charge uh, charging station at the uh, at the fleets on the fleet side. They can charge that truck. You know, if that truck has about 250 kilowatt hour battery, mm. which is which is which is small, but that's good enough for uh, for urban delivery. I think uh, I think it could serve the kind of easily overnight charging. Yeah. As soon as it gets bigger than that, obviously, you know, like uh, 400 kilowatt hours or 500 kilowatt hours, then the AC charging is a is an option to have a low cost charging uh, solution. But uh, but it's 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 not the option. I mean, there's going to need some DC charging to uh, to compensate for that. So yeah, much like with a car, where you 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 know DC fast charging is great and that's optimum, but. Uh, for a for a truck with a I don't know five hundred or eight hundred kilowatt hour battery pack, that's a megawatt scale charger, and and there are not yeah. going to be that many megawatt scale chargers. Uh, exactly. So on the on the part of um, of uh, of the OEMs that uh, they're going to use AC charging, I think it's 
it's it's a good way to enable those sales for the next couple of years until we see the deployment of these fast charging uh, mm. fast charging uh, sites. And om- but I agree with you. Well, almost every e- truck as well. EPO will stay. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Sorry. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And 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 almost every truck has to park. You know, because drivers have to rest. So there's you know there's always going to be uh, you you could envisage in a in a sort of overnight truck stop. Like all of the trucks being connected to a, you know, maybe not forty kilowatt, but as a sort of, um, you know, decent AC um, shore connection to charge the batteries and provide heat and air conditioning and stuff for the for the driver exactly. while he's resting. So exactly, big um, big product area and and similar. So similar question DC, with DC DC converters. Is that in the in this in your sort of product vision somewhere that you'd like to go as well? Yeah, absolutely. It is uh, not for on highway, but mm-hmm. for off highway. It is, and and we do offer that today in our off highway uh, business. Uh, but you know, it's 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 you know big big boxes, big PCDCs um, <clears throat> for for bigger vehicles, and it's um, it has a lot in common with what we supply, even sometimes in our marine business. So can, we kind of share those product ranges from uh, off highway and marine, um, uh, you know, in terms of DCDCs and right. and the DCDCs also come with uh, inductors, you know, huge inductors that we package. I mean, for us, they're huge, but if you <laughs> if you take them and and put them next to what they're used to in those big mining vehicles or in those big marine applications, they're actually very compact. So, yeah, but but they're still way too big for um, for what we need in our in on highway. Oh, interesting. So, so my next question is about, um, and, you, and you've kind of mentioned this a little bit already, but f- from your perspective, you know, you've been in uh, the EV space for a long time. You know, you're at TM4 when, in, you know, back in 2004, there, there weren't many of you there and, and you've kind of like seen these, the, the businesses go from very low volume sort of prototyping and, and projects. And, and now with Danfoss, you're, you're doing this like massive scale up um, activity you know, when, when you're only making a handful of things, it's sort of difficult, but in a way it's easier because if you have a problem, you only have a problem on one or two, not on thousands <laughs> and thousands. What, what do you sure. see, you know, as you, as you're scaling up now and, and the business is kind of, um, these businesses are trans transforming into higher volumes. Um, what do you see is the kind of key challenges with that and um and you know how how is danfoss dealing with uh, with that as a business yeah so that's a good question on the um so on the on highway side it's it's really hard because it's not our natural business as you know you know we're really not naturally driven drawn by the off-highway industry and we have our distributors and our channel partners and our service network is pretty well established in that in that market and for on highway, the key is to work with the tier one. So, for example, if you take um, if you take Meritor Cummins now, right? Um, we're we're gonna supply through them, and they they have their own uh, service and channel, and they'll make sure that we have the appropriate structure. They have the appropriate structure for service, and then we we need to uh, be basically be able to follow um, follow that. But yeah. we won't we we won't. Uh, it's gonna be very difficult for us to. Uh, to uh, develop that across the globe for the on-highway business. So we have to carefully choose our programs. We have to carefully choose our customers and make sure that it doesn't stretch us in terms of service and aftermarket. So that's, that's on the service side. Yeah. What, what about manufacturing? So inside the plant? So, you know, in, in terms of manufacturing, you know, we, 
we um, we have uh, in on highway we have uh, two locations and we're considering a third location, but we have two locations today. One is in uh, is in uh, Longmont in Colorado, beautiful beautiful place. I don't know if you've been there. I have, yeah, a couple of years ago, maybe four years ago, something that was amazing. But what a backdrop to a factory. <laughs> pretty cool place yeah, yeah to uh um but but um yeah so that's the old uqm facility that we've uh you know we've we've uh, invested a lot to uh make it a, a solid manufacturing location this year and it will be investing uh, uh um more next year to to scale it up to the volumes that we need it to be right. so that that's the one in the u.s and then uh, we have another one in uh in norborg actually close to our headquarters um where we manufacture this uh charger and and it's it's pretty interesting because the that line is fully automated so right. um you know with robots manipulating um manipulating the material from the start to the end so so that's uh that's the second one we have and we're considering a third one uh <clears throat> in europe uh, the location is not final yet but uh um yeah a third one in europe uh to be able to uh, to meet our customers needs Mm. But I guess I guess the answer is, you know, Danfoss has locations um, everywhere in the world. Then you know, um, even now with the Eaton acquisition, Eaton Hydraulics acquisition, we even have more presence and scale. Yeah, we'll put the we'll put the plant where the customer is, where the customer is the closest and where they need it to be. What um, the example we have, I give I gave you on the charger is pretty interesting, right? Because we went from. Uh, uh, f for full automation. And mm -hmm. we didn't necessarily go for full automation because of the volume. We went for full automation because of the quality right. that we wanted to have in this product. And you, you saw the product, it's super complex. Yep. And quality and peace of mind was much more important for us at that point. Um, and we wanted to make sure that we could ensure a good quality of the product once it comes out of the production line. Uh, we also wanted to remove the the cost of labor on that product because you know as you know cost of labor in europe could be quite high yeah so we we really um made this line really um a very interesting showcase line and uh, you could you know you're more than welcome to come and see it uh, if you yeah. if you come to denmark uh, i'll show it to you but but i was super uh, excited of, uh, of seeing this line i saw it for the first time a month ago ah oh, fantastic is that does that sort of draw on um because danfoss i mean Again, something people don't realize, but you've got this, you've got a huge uh, business unit making uh, industrial electronics and uh, and controls and things yeah. already. So you've got inside the the overall business, there's presumably a kind of army of manufacturing uh, guys and automation people and, and that sort of thing in, internally within the group. That's right. So we have uh, three segments. So we have climate solution, we have Danfoss drives, which is the segment you referred to, which makes um, a significant amount of uh, industrial uh, inverters. Yeah. Um, and then we have uh, Danfoss Power Solution, which is essentially 50% of the business of Danfoss. Mm. Um, it's a 5 billion uh, euro business uh, this year, approximately. Wow. And uh, and that's where Danfoss Elektron is, because it goes back to the premise that I uh, I did at the beginning. The the goal for Danfoss Elektron is to be ready to replace every hydraulic in an off-highway machine by an electric system, right? Mm. Um, so that that's why Danfoss Elektron is uh, is kind of sitting uh, in Danfoss Power Solution. It's an interesting um, 
<laughs> feel free to not answer this question, but it always it just, they strike me as a bit strange. Um, obviously, Danfoss did this huge acquisition of the Eaton Hydraulics business, and as a, a kind of electrification guy, that seemed like um, you know maybe a business that that was going to be under pressure because of electrification. And and I'd almost made a career yeah. up until that point of taking hydraulic systems out of things, <laughs> replacing them with electrical yeah. stuff. But I, I guess yeah. um, Danfoss as a business, you know, felt that 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 still had you know, we're still going to be around and a, and a strong business for, a, for, for a long time. Yeah, that's true. Um, so I had the same reflex as you, as you, by the way, cause I'm an electrification guy at the core. Right. Yeah. Um, but it's already, it's already delivering some amazing results. So Dan Foss is, uh, is, is really, um, you know, making sure that this acquisition, uh, was, uh, you know, is, is super, uh, is profitable and profitable quickly. Yeah, you know a lot of what was acquired as as well. If you look at uh, hoses and fittings and connectors, you know they, there's a lot of them in in, in off highway and uh, and it's a critical component. It's a pre- pretty much a, a a big failure point in uh, in, uh, in in an off highway vehicle. So I I also think that it was actually a very clever move because as people are getting away from it, uh, hydraulics and investing in electrification, so is Danfoss. Mm. But they, uh, but Danfoss invested to have a bigger, even bigger uh, market presence and share of wallet inside our customers. So that was a pretty interesting move at the right time, I think. Mm. Now, everybody, it's debatable at what pace the electrification rate will happen but even if you take a, a, a small machine electrification happens but the hydraulics still stay so for example you have an electric motor drive the pump and you still have those hoses and fittings in there and so forth so yeah the 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 full replacement of hydraulics um is going to take a lot of time just because of you know power and torque density and some applications and stuff like that you you know this probably better yeah. than i do yeah, so it might you might simplify the hydraulic system uh, and maybe lose the the sort of main propulsion um, unit, but you you you're going to still retain a lot of hydraulic actuators and and uh, pumps and other things like that in in amongst it. So uh, really interesting. Uh, so so in the in the kind of business then that you're in, uh, you're you're focused on the on highway side. Um, You've obviously you've got colleagues who are focused on marine and and off highway, um, which <laughs> again that's uh, God, I, I thought this question sounded good, but now I'm asking it and I'm I feel bad. <laughs> but all, okay, I'm which scared. is the best? Which is the best? <laughs> <laughs> so which is the most interesting? Do you think for the uh, electrification business, um, if if you know marine or, or off highway or on highway? I mean, for me, it's clearly on highway because that's where I grew up and uh, that's where I feel uh, very well connected. And uh, and I think that's what's accelerating it. Uh, off highway uh, is super interesting because every customer is different. Every application is different. And uh, it's it's a different, it's a completely different uh, market dynamics, you know, in, in the off highway industry. So it. In on highway, it's more of okay. Give me your price, your your uh, your spec, and I'll call you back. Kind of uh, approach, right? 
in off highway, um, you know, our focus in off highway is to work with the OEMs that need our engineering power, that need our engineering support. So we come in, we help them, you know, electrify their machine. It's it's more of a of a of a partnership than uh, than it is in on highway. So the sales cycle is different. The relationships are different. Um, I mean, it, it depends. Uh, for my for my personality, I would say on highway is. Um, it fits my personality better, yeah. but I do like the uh, the off highway approach of, uh, of 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 working. And if you if you look at the off highway business, you know it's the big uh, the big caterpillars and John Deere's and so forth. Yeah, CNH. But but other than that, you know, there's like a whole sweet spot of of OEMs that that actually don't have the engineering power to convert those vehicles into electric and that want to compete with the John Deere's and the CATs and yeah. and the CNH. So that's that's um it's pretty fun because one machine is you know it's not it's sometimes it's not even the same they don't build two machines that are exactly the same. So um yeah, yeah. Uh, very specialist market. Um it does it particularly I, I think in, funnily in the UK um like you know we've got one big oem in jcb and then we don't really for off highway there's not that many i get shot down and there's terex uh you've got the uh, what's now volvo it was um the, the big rigid uh, truck plant up in glasgow so there's a bit of a there's the sort of bigger oems basically cnh obviously in in uh, agriculture but we don't have the sort of that middle tier, particularly of, of off highway OEMs, in the same way that in the US, it's I mean it's mind boggling. Yeah. You come across yeah. a company that are making this really obscure product that does such a specialist job, and they make like a thousand a year. <laughs> Where do they yeah. sell them? Yeah. No, and and the key to succeed uh, is is also different. So we entertain very good relationships with our channel partners and distributors because we can't be everywhere and we can't serve every everybody. Um, and we so we. We select the right distributors and partners that have it, the engineering capacity. Mm. You know, when I say engineering capacity, I talk about electrical engineers. I talk about software engineers. I talk about mechanical engineers. So not not par- partners that are going to just draw information from you without digesting it. We work with the with the ones that actually have a team that are investing in electrification, and that's really helping us a lot because we can't be you know everywhere in in, in the U.S. or in Europe to serve those those guys uh so so yeah. so yeah they're completely they're completely different markets and i have to say you know for from my perspective and on in on highway i'm not going to focus on all the uh all the oems i'm going to focus on the ones that uh, we have the chances of um, of winning mm-hmm. that value our, par- our power electronics that value our technology uh and uh and yeah you know we we're going to pick and choose who we can work with and who we have a chance of winning. We're not going to answer, you know, every single RFQ that comes our way because, as you know, that could be a waste of time. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. Learning who to say no to is uh, its really, you know, they always say it's a very important um, skill in, in business. Um, do, do you see, you know, as, as the market is maturing, um, is it getting more competitive, um, you know, or, or like how, how does that side of things stack up at the moment? So right now, everybody's surprised by the uh, level of interest and volume, right? So everybody is um, everybody's chasing, uh, everybody's trying to deliver what they've committed to. So I would say that um, 
we we're now going to be entering generation two of truck uh, development, right? So generation one is going in production this year, next year. Yeah. Kind of you know, kind of overall design. Generation two, I I think um, Danfoss has a bigger chances of winning actually in uh, in 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 trucks for generation two because right now you see OEMs are buying systems, right? They're buying e-transmissions, they're buying e-axles, they're buying complete packs, the whole system, because they just need to get a truck on the road, right? Yeah. Generation two OEMs are going to start breaking up those RFQs into components, right? And saying, I want to buy an inverter, I want to buy a charger, I want to buy a motor, and I'm going to put it in my own e-axle, or I'm going to put it in my own transmission, or whatever they decide to do. So I think we're very well positioned for that part of the market being a tier two supplier today. Yeah, and I think we're going to be ready to uh, to quote the component business uh, in uh, in a couple of uh, couple of years actually, because right now generation two is starting now, and it's going to be in production in 2028, 2020, uh, you know, 2027, 2028, depending on the OEM. So um, I think that's that's the work I'm focusing on: getting our shop, you know, getting the basics right, getting the manufacturing quality uh, where it needs to be, and getting our products um, where they need to be, so that we can quote this uh, second step of um, truck development. Right. Yeah. And and do you think in that second wave? There'll be uh, sort of a bit more of a focus on optimization and and kind of squeezing more efficiency out of a system and, and cost optimization and things like that. Do you think that's why it will go to to more of a component based approach? Yeah, I think I think it's going to go. I think it's going to be important to have uh, to to be cost competitive. Of course, they want to understand the cost structure right now because. You know, these the, the tier ones have sunk in a lot of their development costs into these unit prices. So now they really want to understand, hey, how much does an e-axle cost? How much does an e-transmission really cost? Do I make it myself or not? And that's good and bad. That that could yield to to the tier to the OEM saying, hey, I'm not going to do it, or I'm going to do it myself. Then there's the other element that people uh, forget to talk about is, you know, these these truck companies have plants where they make engines and they make transmissions and they make axles. They, they need to keep these uh, these workers uh, with a job, right? So yeah. at the end of the day, it's not just about the price of the technology. It's about keeping those people um, people uh, working. And, and some of these OEMs have said, I will build my own axles, I will build my own transmissions, and I will yeah. build my own electric motors and, and so forth. So I think at the end of the day, it's going to have to go into into components and there's always going to be a part of com- a part of systems right so you know for example all these specialty vehicles like refuse and all these trucks right will continue to be maybe purchased uh systems yeah but for the bread and butter of the OEM where the volume is high they'll make the components or make the e-axle themselves yeah much the same actually cuz today you know um for a diesel engine truck, some OEMs make their own engine. Some buy it in from a an engine supplier. Some buy it in from a different from a, a, a company that's effectively a competitor. Um, and same with axles and transmissions and things. It's a quite a complex um, yeah. kind of ecosystem, isn't it? Uh, be, because of all the special requirements. Yeah, and you know that uh, what's interesting today, if you look at the North American truck market and the European truck market, you know, so if you if you take a truck in North America, you can basically customize it the way you want. You can choose the engine, choose the transmission, and choose the axle, right? In North America, in Europe, you don't have that flexibility, right? It comes with the engine. Uh, you could choose maybe a different 
transmission with different ratios and a, and an axle with different ratios. But if it's if it's the OEM's axle, that's what you're going to get. And if it's the OEM's transmission, that's what you're going to get. So that's a different market dynamic. But when with EVs, it becomes kind of the same flavor for everybody, right? So if, if you're going to buy a truck from an OEM in the future, it's most likely going to be the whole flavor uh, yeah. across the board, right? You know, so I think it's going to be harder for those tier ones that have unique regional positions, right, uh, yeah. on axles or on engines or whatever. I think it's going to be harder for them because these EVs are going to be, you know, the same chassis basically, right? Yeah. And again, it, which furthers my point on the component business. Yeah, yeah. The um, the ability to swap out an axle if it's actually, you know, the, o the OEM will have an e-axle that they use in a particular weight category of truck and that's it. There won't be a choice to go with a different axle supplier because you like them and you stock all their spare parts yeah that's what i i see so i i think it's uh it's i mean we're all waiting for that to to pan out but uh, uh i'm pretty pretty happy with the way uh, dan foss is going on the component side interesting yeah and i think i mean so just checking the time but we're, we're we're pretty much out of time uh but I was going to ask you about the future and kind of what got you, you know, what what you're excited about uh, coming, and and I guess you've answered um, quite a bit of that already in terms of maybe not what to get you excited, but what's coming in the future. Um, if you had to sort of pick pick a few things out in terms of what you're most excited about coming uh, down the line, um, what would you say that is? I mean, I'm I'm excited first of all to see the industry uh, happening, uh, you know, because you and I have been in this industry forever, and it's always been next year is going to be better, next year is going to be better. <laughs> I don't feel old enough um, to, you know, I said to somebody today, I don't feel old <laughs> enough to have been doing this for twenty years. <laughs> so, yeah, somehow, no, and, I, and I think what's what's interesting for me is uh, is right now I see it from the even the operational side. So I see the demand coming in from our customers. I see that we need to get our our plants ready for the demand, our plants up and running. So it, it, it is happening now. And uh, I don't think there's, I don't think it's going to, it's going to turn back, right? Even if, uh, mm. and you know, it's, it's interesting to see that with all the challenges we had on supply chain, on semiconductors and all those challenges, right? The EV industry didn't, uh, didn't slow down. In fact, it accelerated it. Uh, so, it's really, um, for me, that's what keeps me motivated and excited. You know, I'm, I still get excited when I see um, even a, a school bus with the motor that from uh, from uh, from my old employer, Dana TM4. You know, it's it's super exciting to see it actually, you know, live on our streets. Yeah. Um, so I'm I'm excited for the future. I think I I think it's going to happen for sure. There's no turning back and. Uh, I'm excited that uh, really the the company I work for, Danfoss, really took the right uh, the right bets on uh, on semiconductors and silicon carbide. I think that that's going to be, uh, you know, if you if you look at the benefits of it in a in a vehicle and in a commercial vehicle, the high voltage, the efficiency gain, or the high current output that you can get at the same voltage, it's it's really the right recipe for commercial vehicles. Cool, fantastic. Well, thank you so much for uh, for taking the time out to to uh, speak to me today and and sharing your experience and, and wisdom and and that's that's been uh, it's been fascinating to to catch up and and find out more about what you're doing now. So thanks a lot, Eric. Thank you. Thanks, Ryan. It's been a pleasure, and uh, hopefully we can catch a beer next time. Take care.